Welcome everyone. I'm Vicki Vasiliga, Director of the Clinical Specialists and Scientists section here at ACHP. And thanks for tuning in for this COVID-19 special edition episode. As we all know, COVID-19 has presented many clinical, operational, and educational challenges in the past year. With that in mind, ASHP is sharing insights and lessons learned presented by your peers from the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting so that you can incorporate these best practices into your own as we all do our part in caring for our patients. So I'd like to start off with providing some background information about our specialty pharmacy program. So the Penn Presbyterian Medical Center, otherwise known as PPMC, is a 387-bed academic medical center located in Philadelphia, PA. The PPMC Specialty Pharmacy Program started back in 2012 and is currently URAC and ACHC accredited. So within our ambulatory structure, there are four retail pharmacies that manage both retail and specialty prescriptions, a discharge prescription program, and there are four outpatient infusion centers. There are five clinical pharmacists that are currently embedded within the specialty clinics, including but not limited to rheumatology, GI, hemong, endocrine, cardiology, pulmonary dermatology, and neurology. For example, we have a clinical pharmacist who covers the rheumatology, GI, and dermatology clinics. So the specialty pharmacy program goals include to optimize medication access rate and the time to access for the prescriptions for our patients. Um, it's to improve medication adherence for our patients. It's also to increase prescription capture rates from the clinics um, to the specialty pharmacy program. It's also to proactively identify drug disease and drug-drug interactions to really help guide some of the clinical decision-making with the clinical staff or for patient education purposes. And um, the goals also include to provide thorough patient education and injection training on new prescription orders as needed. So I'd like to go over um, the specialty pharmacy program structure. So uh, there are four ambulatory pharmacy locations across campus, which dispense both specialty and retail prescriptions. However, there are still designated staff who manage the specialty pharmacy duties, including the specialty staff pharmacist and a specialty pharmacy technician. And these locations are primarily just based on the location of the clinics. For example, the dermatology, the rheumatology, pulmonary, allergy, and endocrine and primary care office are all located in the same building as the PMUC building right across the street from the hospital. The cardiology and hemonc building uh, clinics are located adjacent to the medical office building and much pharmacies. We also do have a uh, clinic that's part of the PPMC facility umbrella. It's just located in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and they also have specialty clinics, including but not limited to cardiology, hemonc, and neurology. So here you'll see a flowchart that describes the specialty pharmacy workflow from the time of order to patient access. It's important to note, as you can see stated below, that every step is electronically documented in the patient's chart under a pharmacy encounter. And this is done in real time for reference for anyone chart reviewing for the patient, whether it's a nurse in the clinic, pharmacy staff, or provider. So at the top left corner, you'll see that this is when a specialty medication is electronic prescribed by provider to our specialty pharmacy. At this point, if the medication is prescribed during an office visit, 
it's very common for the prescribers to have the embedded clinical pharmacist at that clinic meet with the patient right after the appointment for injection training if needed and medication counseling, and also to do a very thorough medication reconciliation. The pharmacists also have demo devices readily available within the clinic for an on-hands injection experience. Now on the back end, when the office sends a prescription to the specialty pharmacy, if a prior authorization is needed, the staff will initiate the prior authorization procedure. So this procedure entails a group of centralized pharmacy technicians submitting an initial prior authorization to the plan in a very timely manner. Again, everything here is documented, including when, when it was submitted, the plan name, case number, etc. Once the prior authorization technician receives a determination on this, this update, of course, is documented in the chart. The reader has disconnected. The conference will be terminated. And I'm sorry about that. And routed to um, the, the specialty pharmacy staff and the clinical pharmacist. If it's approved, the prescription is processed and the specialty pharmacy contacts the patient with the update and the offer, and they also offer delivery or pickup for the medication along with a welcome packet. The clinical pharmacist is notified to offer any, any additional injection counseling if it's needed. For example, if the patient needs a refresher on the training since the, ever since the in-person appointment, or if the order was placed after an office visit, which occasionally does happen, and the patient would just get the initial counseling telephonically, or the pharmacist will schedule a pharmacy appointment with the, um, with the clinical pharmacist, with the patient. If the patient uh, expresses any financial hardships at any given time, the clinical pharmacist is also notified to assist with navigating cost barrier resources, such as enrolling in independent grant foundations, enrolling in copay cards, or manufacturer patient assistance applications. Now, if the prior authorization is denied, the prior authorization technician notifies the clinical pharmacist with the directions and guidance on the appeal processes. The clinical pharmacist after, often writes appeal letters or performs verbal peer-to-peers with the additional patient information or literature referencing the latest clinical um, publications and guidelines for reconsideration on behalf of the providers. So once the initial access is established, the specialty pharmacy routinely outreaches to the patients every month or every three months, and each refill call entails assess assessing for adherence barriers, confirming next injection date if applicable, and inquiring about questions or concerns for the pharmacist. The clinical pharmacist is also responsible for assessing for adherence barriers as well, um, medication reconciliation, and progress toward goal at least every six months in a systematic nature. All right, so here I've listed several activities that the embedded clinical pharmacists are responsible for. This is not a complete list, and I did allude to some of these in the pro previous slide. Um, the activities include creating pharmacy-related resources for providers and clinic staff's reference, for example, in the cardiology clinic, I had at one point created a consolidated table for drug interactions between statins and transplant medications for easy referencing for one of my providers. So the clinical pharmacist also performs ad hoc med recs for patients with polypharmacy in their clinics. And of course, as part of the new medication counseling sessions and other activities include the counseling and injection training, 
troubleshooting insurance related issues, um, such as guiding through formulary alternatives and preferred drug lists, managing denials like I had previously described, or even just clarifying different coverage stages of Medicare Part D programs. The pharmacist also identifies and facilitates resources to overcome financial barriers. And finally, the pharmacists help maintain compliance to specialty pharmacy accreditation standards, specifically the patient outreach and education components and the chart documentation that is required. Now, speaking of accreditation standards, I've listed here the documentation that's required for compliance, and also it ultimately helps keep track and standardize the education that's provided and assess for adherence in a very systematic manner. So each specialty medication dispensed at Penn Presbyterian Medical Center requires a documentation of um, the initial note um, by the clinical pharmacist that entails education along with a formal medication reconciliation, um, monthly or every three monthly refill calls documented by the specialty pharmacy, uh, reassessment for adherence and tolerance and progress toward therapy goal, and every six months along with um, medication reconciliation. So here's just an example that I provided of the documentation we provide for initial education. Um, this is an example using the medication alirocumab. The clinical pharmacists create these templates to, to really help making documenting more efficient and the listed components are required elements for the accreditation standards. But this really does help um, and come in handy for guiding, guiding the medication counseling sessions. So how has our workflow been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? In March of 2020, all scheduled outpatient appointments across the health system in the specialty clinics were transitioned to telemedicine appointments. Throughout this transition period, there was a continuous system-wide updates for the EHR system to improve the telemedicine appointment experience for both the providers and the patients. Additionally, access to the HIPAA-compliant video conferencing platforms were established. The ambulatory care clinical pharmacists began working off-site around the same time. Conveniently, the pharmacists were already provided with employee-distributed mobile phones and laptops previously, um, and this also did have access to the VPN. So access to the EHR off-site and contacting patients was a very seamless transition. The pharmacist also designated a pharmacy technician who remained on site as at the dispensing pharmacy to help maintain incoming and outgoing faxes and mail. The clinical pharmacist ensured clear communication was sent to their respective providers at their clinics and the clinic staff that the same pharmacy services would be provided, but just in a remote manner. So in this slide, I want to revisit the previously described workflow, but how the COVID pandemic affected this. Essentially, the only service that was impacted was the face-to-face -face injection training and medication counseling. However, this allowed for enhancement of the telephonic outreach for counseling, and surprisingly, the receptiveness and direct patient interaction was very positive, um, likely because of the convenience and safety factor. Additionally of note, the telemedicine capabilities allowed for the utilization of the HIPAA compliant video plat platforms that were um, established, um, which made up for the face-to-face -face injection trainings as well. Um, some helpful tools for, uh, for patient care 
being provided remotely include the HIPAA compliant video conferencing platforms that I had alluded to earlier um, to allow for safe and um, private patient education and injection trainings, uh, remote VPN access to the system-wide EHR um, to review updated relevant patient information, um, real-time documentation and patient charts were maintained and also so were the compliance to specialty pharmacy accreditation standards without like falling behind during this time. And then also um, the employer distributed laptops and mobile phones were uh, very helpful in this setting. So the next two slides describe a clinical intervention that was made during a routine clinical pharmacy activity done off-site during the time of the pandemic. So MD is an 82-year-old male with a past medical history of wild-type ATTR amyloidosis, CKD stage 3, type 2 diabetes, HEFREF, AFib, hypertension, and hyperlipidemia. The current medications include amiodarone 200 milligrams every day, atorvastatin 10 milligrams every day, azetamide 10 milligrams, clonidine 0.3 milligram patch once a week, bumetanide 1 milligram every day, aplerinone 25 milligram once a day, potassium supplements, 20 milliequivalents every day, warfarin, warfarin and tifamidus, 61 milligrams every day. Um, so the, at the time of this medication reassessment uh, activity that was done off-site, um, recent labs were also uploaded into the patient charts which the pharmacist had access to. The abnormal values are listed here, um, with the most notable ones being the EGFR, and potassium and, and also the creatinine clearance actually um, for, for this uh, intervention that was made. So once the labs were reviewed and the patient confirmed what the patient was taking, um, the intervention entailed outreach message being sent to the prescribing provider and the clinic nurse via the EHR system to recommend holding potassium and aplerinone. And the provider was advised of the aplerinone required renal dose adjustments if it was planning to be restarted. The outcome was that the provider agreed within an hour. The nurse called the patient to stop aplerinone and potassium supplements and a um, repeat basic metabolic panel was ordered and the patient was instructed to repeat these labs for follow-up as soon as possible. Um, so I, the point of those, that clinical intervention um, was the fact that the, the readily available remote access to the VPN to maintain the normal workflow uh, made this possible. And I strongly believe that the quality and the quantity of the pharmacy services provided was not affected by the remote setting. Sorry, moving on now. Um, so this table shows another perspective to assess my impact, assess any impact if there were any, of the pandemic on the specialty pharmacy outcomes. So it depicts both new specialty prescriptions and total prescriptions processed before and after the pandemic um, or the telemedicine transition. The column allows um, to compare July 2019 to January 2020, or otherwise known as the pre-pandemic that we can call it, to February um, to July 2020, which was really the bulk of um, the the transition period to telemedicine. For example, at the PMUC location, um, there was about a 3.2% increase seen in new prescriptions, which should be included in the 6.6% increase, uh, 6 increase in the total specialty volume seen on the right-hand side, right side of the table. 
Now, I just want to clarify something in the table, which at base value shows that the MOB location um, decreased in volume while the uh, much pharmacy increased. However, this is somewhat misleading because during the pandemic, there was um, several new and refill specialty prescriptions from MOB were transitioned to the Much Pharmacy, which is a relatively new location on site that's also in close proximity to the MOB Pharmacy. And the purpose of this was really just to consolidate more specialty pharmacy prescriptions in one remote location. Overall, um, this table strongly suggests that the transition to a telemedicine setting for both providers and the clinical pharmacists Fortunately, there was not a loss or a negative impact on the volume seen, and we were able to maintain a steady, steady capture rate um, all along. Um, so this table is comparing the difference uh, of a number of ambulatory visits before and after the peak of the pandemic. As you can see, the most noticeable dip started in April 2020, but it quickly packed, um, picked back up once the telemedicine workflow was uh, more established along with the pharmacist also being a part of that transition. So I'd like to shine light on the fact that there were still some notable remaining barriers for this transition. Um, some patients just naturally communicate better um, and more effectively face-to-face. -face. Um, there are inevitably distractions at patient homes, such as um, for our patients who have kids or are caregivers, TVs and radios are in the background, or even just not being in a setting where the attention is fully on the provider or the pharmacist in an exam room. Additionally, um, both parties are not able to rely on body language or facial expressions that really naturally add to the communication. Unanticipated connectivity issues on phones or video conferencing platforms um, are, are inevitable, and it's almost impossible to expect all patients to have access to high quality or reliable internet or mobile services. Additionally, there are varying levels of patients' technical skills or access to resources, such as fax machines or scanners or emails. An example of this is when a pharmacist is trying to gather all the necessary paperwork for enrolling in patient assistance programs. It becomes challenging, challenging when patients don't have the option to meet with the pharmacist to provide documents in person and have to find other means for this. And of course, pharmacists miss out on the opportunity to assess medication bottles during some medication rep some med rec visits. Observing these um, bottles physically really contribute to the quality of the med recs. And as you can imagine, also um, providing pill box services for patients in the clinic are quite challenging for polypharmacy patients in certain clinics. Um, just being able to provide the service offsite is virtually impossible. And lastly, there really are noticeable um, benefits in having patients become familiar with injection de techniques with um, demo devices and having that on-hand experience for certain patients who really um, take fully benefit from these um, demo devices in the uh, injection training sessions. Okay, so we've come to our summary slide. So in conclusion, um, embedded pharmacists play an integral role in specialty clinic uh, care and lead to greater adherence and prescribing of specialty medications. Access to a VPN, EHR, employer-provided phone and computer, 
hospital system internet, um, access to computer-based communication programs, and video conferencing platforms are all required to successfully implement a telemedicine appointment program. Telemedicine allowed uh, improved patient contact with patients during an unpredictable time and led to improved specialty pharmacy care and prescription disp dispensing as seen in our outcomes data. So the key takeaways for this presentation were um, the outcomes of our experience suggest that taking full advantage of advanced technology allows for a seamless transition to remotely providing patient care. And secondly, um, consistent, timely communication with providers and clinical staff is a vital, is vital to optimize pharmacy's role. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today for this special edition podcast on COVID-19. Be sure to follow us at ASHP Official wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to check out our COVID-19 Resource Center at ashp.org backslash COVID-19 for the most up-to-date developments on COVID-19. Take care and thank you for all you do.